Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week wraps up our three-week teaching series, Great Aim. Great Aim can be defined as a choice that forever changes the direction of my life. It's a behavior that increases my relational closeness to Jesus. It's an action that increases my dependency on God. Join Valley Point Church as we investigate some very unique, even disturbing stories in Scripture that speak of great aim. Today we wrap up this series called Great Aim. And as you've just witnessed on the screen, it is possible... By the way, we did not shoot this video. We found this online somewhere. We're not crazy enough to pull this off. But as you've witnessed, it is possible for people to have great aim. Just please do not try this at home, all right? So as we've been walking through this experience, we've been trying to communicate a couple of different things. One of the things we've been trying to say is that God has great aim. And this is not up for debate. We're not questioning that. We're not wondering about that. We're fully convinced that God has great aim all of the time. And here's the other thing that we've been thinking about. And that is it's possible for you and me. It's possible for us to have great aim because of our connection with God. And I believe every single one of us, grandparents, parents, students, to married people, to single people, to mad people, to sad people, to driven people, to whatever box you want to put yourself in, we all need great aim. I mean, this is something we desperately need with our lives so that we're just not wandering around doing crazy things. We want to have great aim. And God can give that to us. And so we've been working with a definition of what great aim actually is. And so I want to share this again. It's a choice that forever changes the direction of my life. And when our choices line up with what God wants and with what God desires for us, we really do have great aim. So it's a choice that changes the direction of my life, but it's also a behavior that increases my relational closeness to Jesus. And when my behavior lines up with what he wants, I'm actually getting closer to Christ. I'm not moving away from him, but I'm getting closer, and that's a really good thing. So it's a choice, and it's a behavior, but it's also an action that grows my dependency on God. And all of that is really good. Okay, it's story time. I'm not very good with directions. I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't make my way around anywhere without my GPS or my phone. I'm just directionally challenged. I'm not good at it. And when we moved here a few years ago, I just didn't know how to get anywhere. And so I had to rely on my GPS. I had to rely on my phone. And here's the thing. It doesn't even bother me that I don't know how to get around. I don't even care. Because if I get in my car and I really don't know where I'm going, as long as the GPS is there or as long as I have my phone, I'm confident that those things, those items will get me anywhere in the world. So it doesn't even bother me when people say, oh, you just bounce over here, turn left, and you'll be right there. 
yeah, I, I have no idea what you're saying. Just give me the address and I'll punch it in and I'm fine. I'm good with that. So when we first got here, we got invited over to the Linetti's home. And the Linetti's attend here at Valley Point and we had never met them. We had never been to their home. And they said they were going to have a bunch of friends there that we had never met as well. So Tanya and I were really excited about meeting new people and having new friends in our life. And I said, just give me the address to your home. And so I got the address for the Linetti's home. And again, I'm excited about this because they are Italian. And so it's going to be a fantastic meal and I want to get there. So I punch the address in and I drive to the Linetti's home and I pull up in the driveway and I see who I believe to be Bob Linetti at the door. And so I get out of my car and I'm like, hey, Mr. Linetti, it's great to meet you. Thank you for inviting us over to your home. I can't wait to have dinner with you and all of your friends. This is going to be a great time for everybody. And he kind of looked at me like I was a raging lunatic. And then it occurred to me, this is not Bob Linetti. It's not. And so I kind of backed up a bit and apologized. I got in my car. I got out of his driveway. And then I called the real Bob Linetti, and I got real directions. GPS, fail. I did not have good directions, and I did not have great aim. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. And I want everybody to lean in because when we trust in Jesus alone to save us, when we embrace his leadership and his forgiveness, we get a few things and they're great things. I mean, we should all be really thrilled and excited about the different things that we get when we respond to Jesus. And many of you in this room have done that. That's awesome. Some of you have done that recently right here and that's just great. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Christ before because you're not so sure about him and you're kind of figuring that out and you have questions and you're just not there. That's great as well. We're thankful that you're here and I want all of us to know what we get when we trust in Jesus alone. We get a rescuer who rescues us again and again and again and again no matter what driveway we end up in when we're lost. We get a rescuer. We also get a leader who kind of points us in the right direction again, and he puts us on the right path, the path that we need to be on in order to have great aim. We also get a God who does not fail. I mean, he just doesn't fail. It's impossible for him to do that. GPS, fail, God, he doesn't fail. And so we get a rescuer who rescues us again and again when we find ourselves in the wrong driveway. We get a leader who puts us on the right path and we get a God who does not fail. We get great aim. In week one of our time together, we said aim for rescuing with your life with your failures and with all of your successes, rescue the people around you. And God has probably placed people in your world that need your encouraging words, that need your station of life, that need your wisdom, they need your friendship with God, and they need you to explain that to them. And so let's rescue the people around us. And when we do that, we have great aim. In week two, 
we said aim for integrity. Aim for being whole the whole way through. And integrity can be defined as being the same on the inside as what we appear to be on the outside. There's so much pressure to cave and there's so much pressure to not be filled with integrity. Sometimes we have to take the long way around. And even if it looks like we lose, we know that God always rewards in the right way and at the right time. So aim for rescuing, aim for integrity. Here's our big idea for today, and that is aim for availability with your life. Aim for availability, and it's basically saying, God, here I am, and you can use me. Here I am. You can use me. Here I am, all of me. You can use every single bit. And sometimes we kind of push back and we allow God to use a few things or a few areas of our life, but we kind of hold other things tightly. And God says, look, it works a whole lot better if you just aim for total availability. Here I am, God, use me. So we've been looking at a few different bizarre stories in the book of Judges. And today we're going to find ourselves in Judges chapter 4. And it's another crazy story, and we're going to have a lot of fun with that. But before we jump into chapter 4, I want to give you a bit of background on Judges. So this is a book in the Bible. And it's about individuals that God set up to lead his people. And he called them Judges. And they were given the authority to direct God's people and to lead them. And so we have this wonderful book in scripture that just tells us about the different people that God raised up and God appointed as judges to kind of direct his people. In Israel's history, God's special chosen people, the Jewish people, there is uniquely a 400-year gap between the time they got into the promised land, which is what the first few books of the Bible tell us about. And it's just a a wonderful time where God is leading and feeding and directing and there's great stories there. And they finally get into the land that God had promised to them, like this is yours, you now get to have it and enjoy it and have fun here, it's for you. So they get into the promised land, but there is this 400 year gap between getting into the promised land and the establishment of the kings, like King David and King Solomon and all of these different kings that led God's people. So in this 400-year gap, God raised up just a bunch of judges. And again, they were directed by God to make sure that his people didn't do crazy and weird things. That was their job. Now, we've looked at a few different judges, and we've told their story throughout the series. Today, we're going to look at the story of a judge. It was a very wise woman. Her name was Deborah, or we can go by Deb. And God used her in miraculous ways to lead his people and to bring them back from the edge of disobedience, to bring them back from the edge of oppression, 
And she did just a fantastic job. And so we're going to tell the story of Deborah today as found in Judges chapter 4. Now, uniquely, there is another woman involved in this story. Her name is Jael. And Jael is the one who had great aim. Now, Deborah had great aim as well, but Jael really had great aim, and we're going to discover that in just a moment. So 400-year gap. And in the middle of that gap, God raised up these individuals to lead and to judge. The person we're going to focus on today is a wise woman by the name of Deborah, just a fantastic leader. So here's what's happening in Judges chapter 4. Deborah has risen to power, and she's leading, and she's doing a great job with that. But God's people have turned their back on God. Again, just like what we do. Again and again, we find ourselves in the wrong driveway, and that's exactly where God's people were at. They had turned their back on God. They were done with him. They didn't want to obey him. They didn't want to please him. They were going in a whole different direction. And so what God would often do during these time frames is he would bring in another king, an enemy king, and he would invade God's people and take them away as captives and basically make them slaves. And they would oppress God's people. And so what would happen during that time frame is they would begin to look back toward God and say, I really don't like living this way. This isn't so fun. We had it better when we were obeying God. So let's go back there. So in Judges chapter four, there is a king who comes in and invades and he brings along an army commander. And this army commander's name is Sisera. And scripture tells us that he ruthlessly oppressed God's people. This is not a nice guy. He's not a good man. This is not who you want to have over for dinner with the Linettis or anybody else. He's just not a good guy. He's not at all. Sidebar. God often uses people that hate him and hate his people to accomplish his purposes. He does. Doesn't make sense to us. We can't figure that out. We can't explain that. It's just what God does sometimes. And we have to trust him. And that's what's happening here. So back to our story. Sisera comes in and he's oppressing God's people. And scripture also tells us this about Sisera, the commander of the army. He had 900 chariots. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us. Who cares about chariots? But back in the day, chariots were a sign of army strength. Like if you had a ton of chariots, you could defeat anybody. And so people would sit around in their little coffee shops and they would say, hey, how many chariots does that guy over there have? And you can just imagine some individuals doing this and they would say, you know what? This guy down the street here, he's got 250 chariots. Wow. Wow. Let's not mess around with this guy because he'll chase us down on his 250 chariots. Let's not mess. And no doubt as part of that conversation, somebody would say, you know this new king? He's got this new commander. He's a terrible guy. Sisera. That's how many chariots he's got. He's got 900 chariots. Whoa. That's a lot of chariots. Let's not mess with this guy because it's lights out if we do. There is no way that we can defeat him. So that's what's happening 
in Judges chapter 4. We've got Deborah. She's trying to lead. We've got God's people. They're rebelling, but they want to get back to obeying God. But they've got this evil king and this evil army commander, and they are ruthlessly oppressing, and it's all bad. So we jump into our story in chapter 4 in verse 4. So here's Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. She is a wise woman. One day she sent for Barak, who was the commander of God's army. And she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Now, this is a very powerful woman. She basically gets the commander of God's people and says, look, I want you to gather a bunch of the soldiers. Get them all together, as many as you can, and I want you to go over to this field, and I'm going to give Sisera a ring, and I'm going to tell him he needs to come out and meet you, and you guys are going to get together on that field, and you're going to rock, paper, scissors it out, and guess what? You're going to win, Barak. God has given you the victory. So this is good for Barak. Here's this terrible guy who's oppressing, and God's going to give Barak the victory. You'd think he'd be really excited about that, but in verse 8, Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. (laughs) Like you're my security blanket, and as long as you're with me, Deborah, then I'll do this. Ah, very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. When Sisera was told that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. It's a great line, by the way. Remember, he's the one, he rescues and he leads, so he's going to be going ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes into battle. And when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael. Here she is. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Now, again, this doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but you have to keep in mind the culture of this day, which didn't really allow for men to go into the tents of women. They just couldn't do that. Even Sisera, an evil guy, would abide by that rule, but he decides to go in to save himself, and here's what happens. Verse 19, please give me some water. He said, I'm thirsty. 
So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. You bail on your integrity. You do that. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. She had great aim. (laughs) Verse 22, when Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him, and she said, come, and I will show you the man that you are looking for. So she followed her, he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. Now, this is a gross story. I mean, it really is. When you think about what's happening here and what's going on, this is a gross story. But the lessons that fall out of this speak of how when we make ourselves available to God with whatever we have, with whatever might be in our hands, and when we obey God, God uses me. He uses me to impact the lives of the people around me. He uses me to change things. So what happens to Deborah? I mean, what goes on after this? Well, in Judges chapter 5, verse 31, it says, then there was peace in the land for 40 years. And that is a significant statement. Again, may not seem like a big deal to us, but because of her making herself available to God, she ushered in a time of peace that landed for 40 years. Keep in mind, there had been no peace at all. There was oppression and people who were doing terrible things. But yet because Deborah was available with her leadership and her judgment and her great aim, she ushers in 40 years of peace. It's amazing. That's Deborah. What about Jael? Well, the nation made a song about her that said, most blessed among women is Jael. May she be blessed above all women. It's not too bad. So for Deborah and Jael, I believe there's one thing that kind of makes them stand out. I mean, they did a lot of things well, but there really is one thing that makes them stand out that gives them great aim, and that is their availability in the moment because they were available and they opened themselves up to God. They had great aim and God used them to change a lot. So how do we use this? in our lives, because we're not dealing with chariots and hopefully no one here is doing terrible things with tent pegs. So how does this work for us? What do we do with our availability? Here's three takeaways. First of all, availability often trumps talent. Think about it. Availability often trumps talent just show up. And sometimes that can make all of the difference in the world. And sometimes this is where we kind of give up on the whole, I'll be available to God thing, because we say stuff like this, God, I would make myself available for you to use me and do whatever you want, but I'm not as talented as so-and-so. And And because I'm not as talented 
as them, I'll just kind of drift into the background and hang out in the shadows. Look, all of us can do something. Every single one of us. God has given us something to do. For Deborah, it was her leadership, her judgment, and her ability to assess a situation and say, here's what we need to do. Let's do it this way. And God used that to usher in peace for JL. Apparently, she was really talented with tent pegs. She was. And God used that to rescue his people. They both had something that they could do, but it was their availability in the moment that made the difference. And just know that availability often trumps talent. Here's takeaway number two. Simple availability can initiate a movement of God. It really can. And sometimes we forget about this, but simple availability, me placing my life in the hands of God can initiate a movement of God that can be powerful and lasting for generations. About a month ago, we hosted a vacation Bible school. And there were just a lot of different stories that came out of vacation Bible school of people making themselves available to God. And it was fun to watch. There's one story, though, that's never been told yet. It's a story of something that happened before Vacation Bible School. So we had the five days, and a lot of wonderful things happened during those five days, and our community was served in just an effective way. But before that, there's a lot of work, and there's a lot of prep, and there are a lot of things that have to be done. And the week before Vacation Bible School, there was a lady who came in for several straight days to the Bethel Road campus where our offices are at. And I hang out there and I would see her come in and she would go downstairs and really wouldn't bother anybody. She didn't get in the way of anything. And she went into a little room and she just began to paint a bunch of different props. And then she'd leave and wouldn't say anything at all. And I remember walking downstairs once and you could see all of these props that she painted and they were incredible. I mean, she was really, really good at that. And she'd come the next day and she'd paint some more props. And then she'd come the next day and she'd paint even more props. And then those props got hung in our Bethel Road campus and they created just a wonderful atmosphere that when those kids walked in on that first night, they were razzled and dazzled with some of that stuff. And there is no doubt that many kids trusted in Jesus for the very first time because there was an atmosphere where they could hear the story about what God had done for them and how everything is possible with God. And some of that was communicated with paint and props. It's amazing to me. See, simple availability. It can initiate a movement of God. And I want to be in on some of that, and I think you do as well. I'm really excited about October the 20th. It's a Saturday, and on that day, we're going to have our first Saturday, go, serve, and love day of the season. It's just going to be a fun day where we get the chance to go out for a couple of hours and serve the community and not expect anything in return. We're going to get our hands dirty, and that'll be fun. And we're assimilating these different projects now, and we're going to be sharing that with you soon, and I'm thrilled about how God is going to use us just to simply serve people. But here's what's going to happen. That list is going to come out, and many of you will look at that, and you're going to say, I don't do those things. 
or I don't have that skill set. So it must be for somebody else and I'll just let them do that. And you'll kind of step into the shadows and not make yourself available. And sometimes you just have to show up. And availability often trumps talent and simple availability it can initiate a movement of God, and I believe we're going to see that happen on Saturday, October the 20th. You know, maybe God's been whispering to you about something that you just need to get up and do. Serve somebody, help somewhere, volunteer, whatever that looks like. Maybe you just need to step into that, and you've been hiding in the shadows because you don't think you have the talent, but if you have the availability Simple availability can initiate a movement of God. Can I just share with you one of our greatest needs here at Valley Point that a lot of you are available for? I mean, you can do this, whether you think you have the skill set or not. Our greatest need right now is with our youngest attenders, birth through pre-K. And we have a lot of people who invest in them and they're wonderful kids, and they're filled with a lot of energy, and we need a few more people who will make themselves available, whether they have the talent or not, and say, you know what, I'll hold a child, or I'll read a story, or I'll work with them, I'll serve, so that these youngest attenders can grow up and eventually lead the church, because that's what they need to do. And you know what, you can have a part of that. You can, because simple availability, it can just initiate a movement of God And this is what we need to be involved in. Here's the final takeaway. Driving a few stakes through things that ruthlessly oppress may be necessary. And it makes us available. Sisera in this story represented what God wanted out. God used Sisera, but eventually he wanted him out, and he used Jael and her great aim to accomplish that. What does God want out of your life? What do you metaphorically need to drive a stake through that is limiting your availability to God? What is that thing? Is it a habit? Is it carelessness in your spiritual life? Is it the desire for more stuff? Is it hatred? Is it a lack of forgiveness? Is it lust? Let me ask you this. What's keeping you from ushering in 40 years of peace in your own life or in the life of your family or in your work life or in your world? See, here's what this is. It's about getting to a place where we open our lives and our time and our skills for God's use. Like, take it, God. I mean, just take it all. Take all of me. I'm available. Use me. Use me to rescue a nation. Use me to put shoes on the feet of someone who has no shoes. Use me to feed a child. 
an orphan. Use me to set up or tear down a church so that people can respond to God. Use me to lead my family to follow God. Use me to reach a friend and rescue them. Use me to bring hope into someone's life who is hanging on by a thread. Use me to mentor a student. Use me to encourage someone to keep doing the right things in the middle of intense pressure to stop doing the right things. Just use me and no more holding back or sitting on the fringes assuming that God can't use me. It's saying, I'm available. I'm available. I'm going to aim for this so that God can use me to impact people and change what's going on in my world. Great aim. Great aim. Aim for rescuing with your life. Let's do that. And we all have people in our world, in our space that need to be rescued. So let's aim for rescuing. Aim for integrity. Be whole the whole way through and make sure that what's on the inside matches what's happening on the outside. And aim for availability. Saying, God, here I am. Here I am, use me. Whether I have the skills or not, I'm gonna show up and simple availability can initiate a movement and Simple availability often trumps talent, so availability, aim for that. And who knows? Who knows what God will do with our great aim? Father, we're thankful for today and for the time we've had to look at yet another amazing story in a book that you put together that tells the story of individuals that you raised up to judge and to lead your people. God, I just pray that you'd help each and every single person here to really think about our great aim. And maybe we don't have that right now. God, would you just speak into us, challenge us, convict us, change us, help us to walk out of here in a few moments, lifting up your song and your praises knowing that that's going to help us aim for rescuing and aim for integrity and aim for availability. And God, who knows? Who knows what you will accomplish through our great aim? God, speak to us. Challenge us now as we continue to respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9, 15, and 11 a.m.